is useless to resist it. His cigarette is burning, but he never seems to ash. He is grooming his poodle. He is living comfort eagle. You can meet at his location, but you'd better come with cash. Now his hat is on backwards. He can show you his tattoos. He's in the music business. He is calling you. Dude! I uh, gotta give credit to Chris on that one. I'm a huge Cake fan, but it never occurred to me to really have a theme song for these. And uh, he not only said, hey, you should have a theme song, but he also suggested it be Comfort Eagle by Cake, which is just the absolute perfect song. More evidence that uh, that Chris is just a, a, produc a production savant. At every level, he, he knows what, what is called for in any given moment. And I respect him a great deal because of that. He knows that that's the song. We're building a religion. We are building it bigger. We are widening the corridors and adding more lanes. How are you guys doing? Is everyone okay with Roy G. Biv dying? Is everyone okay with the visible light spectrum being uh, dying of, I don't know what it was. It probably wasn't anything good. I have to say, what I find it most, what I find most sort of scintillating about it, honestly, is that this is a thing everyone said was going to happen, right? I mean, obviously, it's not that hard to predict that an 87-year-old woman with pancreatic cancer might die at any moment, but her dying right before the election was considered one of those LOL, wouldn't it be crazy if that happened type intensifier scenarios that people would like to make, like, jokingly predict, and it happened. Which just makes me wonder, have we reached the point where we have so far exceeded our capacity to exaggerate the current moment that we are no longer going to be able to uh, be surprised in that everything that is going to happen is going to be something that we said was going to happen and something, this is the important part, terrible. In some sense or another. Like some further intensification of the process of monstrosity and horror not in a positive direction. Like, I don't think her dying is some disaster. I mean, it depends, I guess, but the Supreme Court is going to become, I mean, either the Supreme Court becomes irrelevant in the next 20 years, or it doesn't matter. So I have a hard time caring too much, honestly. Because if the Supreme Court still exists in its current form and is still able to exert its current level of influence and control and veto power over our fucking uh, legislative process, in 20 years, it won't fucking matter who's in it. It won't matter if it's, uh, if it's Judge Jeanine Pirro is on there or it's, uh, it's Judge fucking Wapner. We will have been far beyond any inflection point of any of these systems having any actual democratic content. It'll just be a full puppet show. To, to, to put a, a rubber stamp, a, a, a administrative rubber stamp on whatever monstrosity is currently occurring. So, the Supreme Court is going to be beside the point very quickly. It's either going to be, it's going to be neutralized somewhere or another. I'm not talking about, like, violently. I'm seeing 
that it will no longer hold the position it currently does in the American electoral or in the American uh, political process. This absurd creation, this this fantasy, this submerged uh, superego. Uh, one of the most amazing bits of, of ideological obfuscation ever carried off is, is, is perpetuating the notion that there is an impartial judiciary that could be constitutive of a political process the way that our judiciary is. That it can be independent of politics? It was always an absurdity. The 2000 uh, race and the Bush v. Gore should have, in the right mind of any human being, destroyed it once and for all as even a fantasy. But it's still there and kicking because we don't have an alternative to it. It is too disturbing to consider the uh, possibility that this thing is political, because if this thing is political, then we have to fight over it politically. And that means the norms have to go. That means the norms have to go. And that means our deference to the court as an institution has to go. Uh, but that's liberals will never do that. Because if people don't have faith in the fucking legis uh, the judiciary, why the hell would they have faith in the Democratic Party? They serve the same purpose. They serve the same purpose to, to make it impossible to use the instruments of government that we have, the instruments of democratic accountability we have, to actually impose any democratic fucking accountability on anybody. Has the Supreme Court changed structurally? Yes, they've added court members in the past. Well, first thing the Republicans did when they took power uh, after Lincoln's election was to expand the size of the court. FDR famously threatened to do it, didn't do it, but what people forget is that one of the reasons he didn't do it is that he ended up not having to do it because all of the uh, cases that had been, sh uh, the cases uh, of challenging the constitutionality of the New Deal, which was why he originally threatened to pat the court was because they were essentially trying to judicially veto the entire thing, these decrepit old fossils, these reactionaries. Uh, but it, all it took was a credible threat to pat the court, and all of a sudden, these same guys started declaring uh, different elements of the New Deal constitutional. Because he knew that FDR was willing and able to check them. And that is why they're gonna fucking they're gonna confirm this psycho, whoever it is. Is it eighty Cody Bryant? Kobe Bryant, what's her name? Cody Barrett? Another one of these Opus Day psycho Catholics? Uh, whoever she is, she'll be she'll be uh, even if they lose the Senate, and it'd be even funnier if they do lose the Senate, they're gonna fucking push her through in the in the lame duck. And the reason that you, the only reason you wouldn't do that if you're the Republicans is, well, they'll get in there and they'll just undo it by adding seats or something. They know they're not going to do that. They know they're not going to do it. And if you know what your opponent won't do, then you can do anything. Because if they will respect norms, no matter how much you violate them, then you have no threat of ever having uh, your violation of norms punished which means there will be never be an incentive for you to stop doing it. That's why liberals love to talk about decency and people's like uh, beliefs, because that's the only thing that could realistically inhibit the Republicans from doing whatever they want, because they know that the Democrats won't follow suit. That's 
And that's, that's still true to this day. But it's a truth they don't want out there. They want people to believe that these norms are inviolable, that they are real, that someone has to uphold them, even if it won't be the Republicans. Because if they are not... If they are not inviolate, if those norms don't mean anything, if we really are in a struggle of raw power, raw political power, then what the fuck do we need the Democratic Party for? They would never do it. So they're going to they're gonna do it. They're going to put on the 6-3. They're going to finally uh, un- unbalance the court. They're going to do it. What did Tim Kaine say? What did Tim Kaine and the Membrane say? I bet he said something about appealing to their decency, or that they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't lower themselves to the Republicans. They wouldn't lower themselves to actually seek power. But of course, this is not them being pussies, and this is not being them being hypocrites. They do not want to exercise power. Their, their, their role in the system is to provide a, 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 an outlet of, for frustration with the, with the current system, which, to, which the Republican Party does too. Uh, the, question, the difference is, is that the Democratic Party has a base who, if organized along their actual interests, would be a, a threat to the status quo. Democrats exist to make sure that never happens. That's all they're there to do. They're not there to govern. They never really govern. Republicans always govern, even when Democrats are in charge. Uh, hey, here we go. Uh... I am now a union steward because of you guys, and I just struck down my first write-up and told the store manager to go fuck themselves. Felt incredible to wield some power and actually do good for a fellow worker. Hell yeah. That's great to hear. Yeah, man. If there's any hope, it's going to be people having enough of those interactions to tell them, one, who their enemy is, and two, what they could do about it. And workplaces are going to be the battleground for that. Which is why I really do think that big box retailers are where it's at in terms of organizing. Like, in terms of jobs people could get and do and actually maybe contribute to a, a, a labor movement, working in a fucking big box retailer uh, and, and then trying to make connections in there, I think that's something worth doing. I think that's worth, if anyone is looking for a job and, like, needs to work or sick of the job they have, wants something to do to feel useful, maybe they could try that. But, of course, it all matters what your specific circumstances are. So I couldn't say that to any specific person to do that.
I shan't be talking about the sexy octopus. No, no, thank you. I saw an RBG uh, shrine in a park not far from me. So he had a sign, they had like a candle, it had RBG written on it, t-shirt. Just yikes, we really are man, we are Pringles in a can. We are medieval peasants after they've been pushed through a fucking manufacturing process when they're cut, when they're spin, spin peeled and diced up and added with, like, pressed rice sweepings and peanut shells and fucking uh, MSG and MS-13 and a fucking uh, some sort of monstrous flavor uh, amalgam created in a New Jersey laboratory and then put into a fucking tennis uh, can and then pump out. That's us. Just, like, inst instinctive, superstitious worship of our betters because we don't know where who we are without them because we never we went from having totally embedded social order almost overnight to having none at all and so what was there instead was this fucking this mediated space this new thing this world that is not the world that is a representation of the world and that stands in for the world and where you can invest emotional uh uh, power and, and, and meaning and derive meaning and then it created its own real economy based on it. And the people we see are more real to us than the people around us. We feel them more we feel for them deeper. We extend our empathy to them more. And then they take over. And then they, we get a religious uh, almost religious impression on them. As redeemers. As redeemers of our of our wayward lives. Trump, RBG, um, all part of it. This peasantry, just a, a enthralled peasantry. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you get a few more iterations of QAnon, they start saying that Donald Trump's touch will cure your scrofula and that like if you dig up RBG and, and like sleep with her finger bone under your bed that uh that your pleurisy will clear up and why not I mean the medieval people had nothing right medieval people had like if they got sick they were fucked what somebody's gonna wrap some cow shit in a fucking leaf to your face and hope the swelling goes down you're probably fucked now what, are you going to go to the doctor if you're sick? How much is that going to cost? And then if you do go, you're just trading one malady for another. Why not instead try to find cures from the mouths of the saints, the, sacri the, the, sacrament, the sacred language of your, of your godheads? So when Trump tells you to take hydrochloroquine, you go and do it. 
Someone is uh, singing oddly in this back area. It's a sort of a. It's honestly sort of a. It's a little unnerving. It's a little. Children, of, children of the corn. Maybe that maybe people are wailing for RBG. Ted Kennedy in 1980, someone asked about. Uh, that's a very interesting race. Uh, more than anything, it just it's just proof of a historical cycle. It's true. Like, Carter is one of those presidents who was presiding over a realignment, and that was going to cause a reaction to the old from the old guard. And, and, and Teddy was the last gasp of the New Deal left. It was the last, it was the forlorn hope to regain the party. From the new, from the from the Watergate kids, from the Atari uh, uh, neolibs, but he didn't uh, really pursue it with a lot of vigor, and he certainly he didn't embody it in a because he's not he wasn't a great politician, Teddy Kennedy. He's he didn't really have he was riding on the fumes. I mean, the fact that he's considered a lion really is just. Or reflective of how shitty his next generation of Kennedys was. He was clearly the least of the Kennedys. And he'd had, of course, Chappaquiddick, and that didn't fucking help. There was a huge uh, expose about Chappaquiddick that aired on national television in the, right, right before it, or I think right before he declared, and it helped kill his fucking polling numbers. I mean, he fucking had a lady, he killed the lady. And even if he didn't kill her, he acted with amazing and kind of aught disgusting lack of chivalry. I mean, I, I mean, yes, yes, that's a loaded concept and it's sexist, but we're talking about the late 60s, early 70s. People still believed in that stuff. At least they more than they do now. And, they, like, best case scenario is this guy just swam away from a sinking car, sinking into a river, and left the woman who was also in the car to drown. Didn't help her. Like, didn't go down trying to save her. At the very least, you can judge him as a, as a, as a pauldron. Uh, but, of course, then there's all the other questions of why was he driving with this woman who wasn't his wife at late at night? What was going on there? Very, very, very puzzling. And then uh, fucking Cardinal Spellman, the local Catholic archbishop, he gets uh, the Kopechny family, the family of the victim, who were good Catholics, he got them to not have an autopsy. Because she wouldn't have wanted it. Oh, she wouldn't have wanted all to bother. She ought to understand. Oh, it's very troubling what's happened here. We all, we all want to be able to pray and be with Jesus. And we don't want to be open her up to some sort of oh, medical procedure. Oh, no. Oh, that wouldn't want. That's not what Mary would want. Yeah, I mean, like, talk about chivalry. It was fucking Camelot. Like, like Lancelot doesn't do that shit. Galahad doesn't do that shit. They don't run away from the Green Knight. That was a good accent. Shut up. I 
Uh, someone says I'm the master pissing off British Islanders with moderately good accents. I would agree, only I would say excellent accents. I know for a fact, these people just like to, they're proprietary over their stupid accents. Oh, I don't sound like that. You do. And you know how you can tell? As I remember the people when Fargo came out around me saying that that wasn't how people sounded. And I'm like, motherfucker, you shut your mouth. That's exactly what people sound like. They might, it's like, you don't, the only difference between really living in the Midwest and Fargo is essentially, it's not that they sound different, it's that fewer people you meet are going to sound that way. Like, living in Wisconsin or Minnesota, you only might meet, like, a couple of people, you might only see a couple people in a day who sound like that. You know? Or unless you have a family where everybody sounds like that. The ambient Midwesterner, you got, like, a one in five chance someone's going to sound like that. In the movies, it's almost everybody. That's unrealistic, but, of course, that's also art. That's also, you know, exaggerating for effect. The accent itself is flawless. That's what they sound like. But I only really sound like that. I only really sound like that when I'm drunk, and I don't have it that bad anyway. I, I don't have as dramatic an accent as that. And that's the other thing is that there's degrees, but the people who sound like that sound like that. Shut up. Everyone freaking... Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. It's good. Shut up. It's good. They're great. They're great. They're all flawlessly good. Shut up. So, hi guys. I'm about halfway through Cloud Splitter here, which I read from the other day. The Russell Banks book. That's an epistolary novel. It's the recollections of Owen, Owen Brown, the one surviving son of John Brown, who escaped from Harper's Ferry and was not uh, hanged. Uh, and I have to recommend it a great deal because not only is it very well written and it's very, you know, evocative of the time and place, uh, it could not be more relevant to what we've been talking about on the stream because I've talked about, about how alien John Brown is to us. How his, his, his way of seeing the world is one that we cannot replicate if we try. We could not imbue the world with the moral certainty that he did. We could not imbue it with the spiritual depth that he did. And so it's hard for us to understand him as a person. And the, the premise of this book, and it operates, I think, from the premise that, hey, Owen's, Owen Brown ran away. He didn't, he didn't go to the gallows willingly like his father did. Because there was a point during Harper's Ferry when they could have... Escape, escaped when they could have gone back across the border. And they chose not to. John Brown said, no, this is it. We're making the stand. And Owen Brown later escaped. Taking that as like the basic idea, it, it operates from the perspective of a character who is a modern character. Like Owen Brown, the whole, the whole, the whole uh, premise of the book really is Owen Brown trying to live in the shadow of and, uh, and in the influence of, and in the direct, like, awestruck countenance of this biblical figure while being a, 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 a modern, desacralized, secular uh, being. An uncertain man. The man, the man for whom, uh, the, the post-God-is-dead Nietzsche character, the, the man, the rope in the abyss. Um, and it's about how someone like that operates in the orbit of a uh, 
of a pre-modern figure like Brown, whose spiritual sense is so deeply felt. Because this character, Owen Brown, he has the same beliefs as John Brown about slavery, right? He is totally absorbed in his father's worldview about the necessity to destroy slavery and the equality of blacks with whites. But what he doesn't have is the religious faith that undergirded it. And that's essentially the role of all of us, or a large percentage of us, is that we have these things we know are true, and these horrors, these moral horrors that are before us. But we do not fire them with a religious conviction. There's no, there's no uh, flames under the pot to get the fucking steam going through the engine. And this book is about how this guy, Owen Brown, essentially like talks himself into being this figure and body and, do, and pursuing the same course and, and carrying out the same radical action as his father without the religious conviction, talking himself into it as a postmodern, a postmodern really subject because the book is written obviously in the 20th century, late 20th century. It's called Cloud Splitter because that's the name of a mountain in the Adirondacks that faced the uh, property that they lived in in the 1850s when Brown went to supervise uh, a, a free slave, uh, freed slave uh, farming community that Garrett Smith, a very well-known uh, and very rich abolitionist, had uh, set up in the Adirondacks. But uh, Cloud Splitter for me is, is, is a perfect name, too. I, I always wondered why. I, I've owned this book for years and moved around the country and never opened it, and I'm finally reading it. I was kind of wondered, it's like, what's, that's kind of an odd title. And now that I know what it means, I get it, because that's the figure of Brown. Brown is the gun splitting the clouds, the clouds of, of self-aware uncertainty, the cloud of unbelief, the cloud of... And, and, and what I'm realizing reading this is like, Obviously, that is usually understood as like a lack of religious belief, like in a supernatural or in God. But I think it's more a lack of belief in, in uh, a lack of belief in the uh, there being something outside of us, you know. That and and John Brown felt that as God, as like a, as the biblical God. But so did many people, many people who love slavery and said it was a positive good, who could ignore the, the reality of in front of them. But that's because their God was this uh, false conception, this, this mammon figure, like a disguised pagan God that they could confuse with, uh, with Jehovah. Uh, but, but, but Brown worshipped the real God, which was universal oneness, which was the in-his-bones understanding that everyone was of the same material, meaning that there is one soul and that that soul is God's. That might not have been how he thought of it. He thought of it in terms of the Bible. But that's how he felt it. That's how he felt his beliefs. And the problem for people like Owen Brown and for us is that we can have those beliefs. We can have an, a, an intellectual understanding of the interconnectedness of all, like Bernie liked to say. We are all in this together. We can know why that's true from a from the perspective of uh, of utilitarianism or or 
or just good old fashioned like logic. It makes the most sense for us to 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 uh, to uh, cooperate instead of compete because it's more efficient. But we don't have a deeper sense that the other is us. We don't have that sense of imminence of unity, which Brown called God, but which we could call anything. But what we have to call it something. And it's the lack of that that makes us all Owen Browns. And it's very clear in the book that if Owen Brown had not had his father, uh, he would have been lost. Even as much as he chafed at uh, being under his father's bridle and, and, and bit out the, the spit the bit that was placed in his mouth and, and couldn't accept the religious, and, and often would, at the end, he went where his father went and he did what his father did because he knew the greater rightness of him because of, of how it emanated from his father, how he embodied virtue in such a complete way that it meant that his aims had to be virtuous. But once again, that's convincing yourself. It's not believing from your own sense. It's not feeling for yourself. It's thinking your way there. And that's what we're all doing is trying to think our way there. And we have to keep thinking our way there, but we have to add the fire. We have to get a fire going to get the smoke moving through the machine. And it can't. I don't think it's going to be conventional religion. It's not going to be the old-time religion John Brown preached going to be something else it's going to be syncretic of the current culture and it's going to be universal because it has to be because universality is its essential uh, recognition I, I said that I would be Trotsky to braces Lenin for sure I would be honored although like I said I think that might be too high a claim also I don't want to end up getting an ice pick in the head You know, it's funny, you could almost say that uh, the way that the U.S. got the ended slavery was essentially the PMC libs uh, getting common cause with the working class uh, uh, racist MAGA guys of the North by appealing to their material interests. Because... Northern opposition to slavery increased significantly in the lead-up to the war and was one of the chief contributors to the war breaking out. Southerners freaked out and thought that the North was going to limit slavery because Northern voters became more and more uh, opposed to it. The driving force for that was not the abolitionist uh, agitations of the, uh, the middle-class abolitionists who mostly wrote to each other in their little communities of uh, well-off Quakers and, and the like. Uh, the, the, the working classes of the North were largely disconnected from this media. They didn't consume it. They weren't aware of it. They had their own problems to fight. Off, fight. They were hard-scrabbling their own life in the wilderness, or they were uh, making their own lives in the, in the hectic, satanic mills of the cities. But as, as, as slavery was brought to the forefront of American politics, the question of how, how uh, 
the future of the country would be divided became the chief argument point. And it was whether the uh, coming in territories that came with manifest destiny and expansion to the edge of the colony, of the, of the continent, how would those be distributed? Would those places have slavery or freedom? Because as northern workers understood it, you could not compete as a free worker or a free farmer with slave labor. And that was fine as long as it was only in the South. Let the Southerners work for, worry about it. But if the frontier, which is where we're all expecting either ourselves to go or our kids to go, to maintain that sense of American momentum and movement towards destiny, the American dream that we're all fixated on, even at this point. We have to imagine a future where our children will be able to succeed. But if the fucking frontier is slavery, we will not be able to compete. And that, that fear drove working class opposition to slavery, more so than abolition. But the two worked in concert. They both, on the question of expansion of slavery into the colonies, they were able to work in concert to create a coalition, a political coalition around something called the Republican Party that was able to answer, that was able to assimilate Democratic, like Democratic Party, uh, large D Democratic Party concerns about uh, about yeomanry and about working people uh, and slavery as a labor issue, but also accommodated the whole breadth of abolitionist middle class sentiment. And that created a, a the first serious uh, challenge to slave power in America since, since that had emerged into the, as a key uh, influencer of political events in the 1820s. And then together, those forces brought to bear on the South and destroyed it. The hope was that the crucible of that war would have created a durable, multiracial, working-class conception where the, the destruction of slavery, in destroying slavery, because the thing is, one part of it happened. In destroying slavery, Northerners got more abolitionists. They, they saw the ending slavery as a key war aim. As more people died, the stakes got higher emotionally. And there had to be a deeper reason than keeping the Union together to justify it. And by the end of the war, especially in the Army, there was a deep conviction among a significant amount of the, the, the troops and people at home who, who sent radical Republicans back to Congress in huge numbers in the years to come that ending the slavery was a war aim and therefore there was some obligation to the former slaves. If that had been added, if that sentiment had been admixed with this new political force of freed slaves, and even the landless southern whites who could have been offered an, a, 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 a share of their own out of a redistribution of, of the accumulated uh, wealth of the planter class who would have been fully expropriated, You might have actually had a meaningful reconstruction, but what you need for that, you would have needed also to have seen capitalism overthrown in the North, because the need for profit guaranteed that the social relations in the South would return to their extractive uh, pre-antebellum structures because the factories of the North and the factories of Manchester needed raw cotton, needed cheap cotton. Get it going. That means keep the found, keep the plantations intact and either give them give them back to the old owners or let northern speculators buy them. But get it moving again. A 
of course, one of the big things that made that impossible was the death of Abraham Lincoln and the by the and the presidency of Andrew Jackson or Andrew Johnson. Like I, I can't stress enough the lack of contingency when you talk about history at the level of like presidents. There is so little actual agency these motherfuckers hold. They are able to exercise what seem to be huge powers, but within a very narrow aperture. And the narrowing of that aperture is real politics. That's the real shape of things. The shape of presidential power is, 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 is this warped and diminished reflection. It's like a quarter moon. Like you, that looks like it's all, its whole thing. And all, but all that dark stuff, that's what makes puts it there. It can't be moved in this... In this metaphor. But man, Lincoln, one of our most consequential presidents as a person. Like his, 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 his leadership, almost impossible to imagine anyone else doing that job at that moment. And then impossible to imagine a worse transition than at that moment him being replaced by that man. Perhaps the single least well fitted man, except maybe John Wilkes Booth, to have that fucking job at that time. A, a bitter, angry, wildly uh, uh, alcoholic and paranoid uh, cracker asshole who, whose opposition to the Confederate cause was entirely premised on a weird fixation on like national unity, which is just weirder than loving slavery, honestly. Like, what the hell? Why do you care that bad? He was the only official from, elected official from a, a state that seceded who stayed loyal, which is why they put him on the ticket as a gesture towards national unity. But, like, e racist even for the time, but mostly hated the planters because he was never rich enough to have slaves. He was like, a, he was a tailor. Why would I talk about birding? I'm not a birder. Have I given indication that I'm a birder? Very odd. The things people assume. I like birds. They're okay. Uh, I saw an Oriole the other day. That was cool. Is it right here? What is it? Where is it? Is he, where is the guy? Is he gone? Now, uh, somebody just said that Lincoln should have let the South go. Uh, I'd say no to that for a million reasons, but I think the most salient one is that it doesn't even work as what these people think it is, which is the harm reducer. Oh, slavery was going to die out anyway by the end of the 20th century. Maybe. Although, there's like a... If the, if the South advances... If the, if the Confederacy advances South 
you know, and, and increases slave territory? Does that delay, like, the abolition of slavery in Brazil? It's, it's an open question, I'd say, if it was even... But, you know, like I said, it's not likely they would have won. But if they had been left to leave, like they're suggesting, they could have done that. Uh, but they would have gone to war eventually. They could not have cohabitated. Just, it was not built to last. They were going to go hammer and tongs. And uh, nipping the bud was the best fucking move at that point. Is he? Can you see him? Or is it just the sound? I don't see a bird. You guys see a bird? Name five birds. Well, I've already named a bo- Oriole and a Bluebird. Uh, Robin. Grouse. And the Seagull. Damn, these questions are easy. You guys are giving me an easy time today. The anarchist jurisdiction thing, it's just all election here. It's just election bullshit. They're just trying to maintain, heighten the contradiction, the social conflict, and keep everybody riled up. Just banging a, banging a... Banging a trash can over somebody's head. That's what all that shit is. Like, all this, like, all that stuff that freaks people out. Also, like, the Trump thing about, like, promoting patriotic education and stuff. It's all paper pushing. It's just, it's all symbolic. It's like the executive orders. I'm going to make sure that the, the, everyone in all of the departments make sure there's no transgendered stuff going on in any of our trainings. It's like, it's just a thing for some to click on. It's just an action item for some bureaucrat to go through. I mean, if it has an effect, it's very uh, tertiary. But its effect on the political discourse of like hypercharging the 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 the, the cycle of of take and countertake and and an outraged reaction and counterreaction. That's that is what it does. That's the purpose of it. Uh, somebody asked what I'd like Rick Perlstein to write about next. That's a good question. I would kind of be interested in seeing him uh, go and do like a, a maybe a biography of a local political figure or or like a regional some provincial figure, you know, sort of like a Robert Caro uh, uh, Robert Caro uh, this book about uh, the power the power broker. I was trying, blanking on the name. The one about Robert Moses, but but somebody like that. That'd be interesting, like a senator or a, he's got some really good sketches of senators in his in the book, like Richard Russell.
I would like to buy Quibi. Ten minute, just quick bits. Quick bits. Like Da Vinci Code. Oh, God. These people, it's amazing what they're doing with their money. Frank Rizzo would be good. Although I think there's a recent Frank Rizzo biography. So he, that might be well-trod ground now. Maybe somebody who's like a more... His, Howard Jarvis might be interesting. He has some good stuff about Jarvis. But yeah, anytime these people, anytime they tell you you need rich people at the top of this income distribution to direct resources rationally, look at fucking Quibi. It's like Quick Bites. I believe Kristen Stewart did cheat on Robert Pattinson, and I understand why Donald Trump was so upset, because she really, she proved that she was not loyal, and that she'd cheat on him like a dog, and she did. So, they probably weren't meant for each other. Somebody wants me, somebody wants... An explanation for normies on the concept of alienation. I mean, I think at the simplest, you just say, like, okay, like, if you've got a job, do you do it on, whose terms are you doing it on? Basically, how are you spending your time? Who, who, is, who is determining what you do with your time during the day? And think about the things it takes for you to live in a day. Like the, the food you have to consume and, you know, and, uh, things like that. And how connected you are to the act of doing them. You know? Just think about what it, what, it, what, it, what it would be to own one's own time and labor and compare it to what you actually experience your life to be. And like, what is the difference? What is the gap here? And you can say that's alienation. That is, that is being forced to participate in a system where you are, in order to maintain sustenance as a human, uh, instead of being able to gather it for yourself and make, uh, make your own means of subsistence, you, in order to subside, you must engage in a market transaction and give your time and labor to someone else for their dispossession. The stuff you do and the stuff that they get for it is theirs to work with. And there's to give you to the extent that they are forced to. Uh, somebody said, would communism require a Buddhist mindset? I don't know if I would say that narrowly. I would just say that I think it would require a preponderance of people living under it to have a spiritual relationship with the world around them in a way that reflected the lived experience of life under communism. It would allow it to flourish. 
because our monstrous uh, uh, live-or-die ethics and metaphysics are dictated by the terms of our traumatizing, exploited life in capitalism. And as all systems before did reflect the traumatizing horrors of their particular forms of production. But at a certain point, we, you reach an equilibrium where, where the ego, instead of gathering itself in, in self-defense, loses the sense of fear, loses the sense of loss, loses the threat, and begins to roll out and encompass others. And once that becomes generalizable, you have some sort of religious faith. You have some sort of undergirding in, uh, uh, validation of the order of society. That's what would ha you'd have to have to have any kind of withering away of the state, because people would be self-motivating, not just to work, but to work t for a general good. And then you wouldn't be, ha and that's the point where you wouldn't have prisons. That's the point where you wouldn't have police. But it would only exist if there's a uh, social context that allowed for those feelings to kindle instead of be beaten down and destroyed and turned into self-seeking uh, misery, which is what our system now produces in its citizens. So yeah, it's, it's it's there's going to be it's going to be religious in some way, but I just don't think it's anything any reactionary religious forma formation will be able to make the jump to universal underpinnings the way that it will need to, because like I'm sorry those Abrahamic faiths as much as they claim universality, the non the, the derivative ones anyway they 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 are not in practice universal they they see others as enemies in the Schmidian sense. And that means that they cannot be equal, no matter what they think of theologically, the equality of people. And I don't see any way that those formations can be credibly altered, given how brittle they are and how deeply tied into their two existing systems of exploitation that they are. It'll be something new. It'll be, it'll be off the hook, though, that's for sure. There are some people who are just psychos. There are psychos, but they, in a healthy society, they are an irritant. They don't run everything, which is what we have. Not only is it, like, uh, uh, selected for among our citizens, it's fucking selected for at the, top, at the highest levels of power. Because only people who have essentially jettisoned a significant... Per, uh, significant part of their moral architecture, the part that's able to conceive of anybody outside of their immediate orbit as a real person, that has to go if you're going to work in those systems at the highest level of responsibility. And that doesn't mean that it brainwashes people, it means it selects people for those jobs, and then they brainwash themselves. And the less resistance there is to the beginning, the easier it is to slip into. So the system literally produces and reproduces and rewards psychopathy as opposed to a system that isolates it and neutralizes it by God giving people that ability to seek that much power in the first place and to not have them and to not have people experience enough trauma in life to to push them towards those ethics which is another driver
Someone asked what my favorite Harry Turtledove novel is, and that's funny because I only ever read one series, and I can't even think of them of separate books. It's the it's the uh, Timeline One Ninety One series that starts with the South winning the Civil War and ends with the United States defeating the Confederacy, which is now basically Nazi Germany in World War Two. I never read Guns of the South because, from what I understood, Lee is too sympathetic a character for me to not get annoyed the whole time. Some of these things read like lyrics to a new verse of We Didn't Start the Fire. I got one. What is it? Arab Russia, Arab Russia oil dispute. Need an esoteric Gnostic mystic font. Capital can't fly out of America. We make the money. We make the money. Nobody can fly from us. Not yet. We'll see how that lasts, though. <laughs> I can do accents and I can sing. Thank you very much. Who'll be the next? Who'll be the first QAnon presidential candidate? I would say that if my theory of the my my pillow guy is the next Republican nominee, it's because he is the one who rides the Q train, and he seems like the exact type of guy who could do it too, because he is the it's the the precise type of person who becomes a Q head. He is a, uh, a guy who's had some rough times in his life, is, is, is basically economically secure, and is deeply religious in that specific American evangelical way, whereby God does everything for you, where you are the center of the universe. It's, it's, and that's like those are the people who go to Q because they see the signs and they think it's God's working through the hands of man. And he's doing, he could do the same thing. So if my pillow guy becomes the Q, Q guy, he could get it, he could write it that way. That's how he could neutralize Tucker and everybody else. Amy Therese criticized the idea of logging off on a podcast. You don't say. The most logged on person in human history, the person who's been logged on so long that they've decided that online is reality and that the social clicks that she observes online are the new class structure of the world, 
thinks that logging off is uh, bad. No, I'm not surprised to hear that. I'm not surprised. And it's like, if you believe that, if you are one of these people who has decided, no, 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 the PMC is the real ruling class, even though they have no real, they're not even close to the fucking means of production. They're not within a country mile of the means of production. No, no, they're the new working class because online has recreated reality or something, and it's all disconnected, but this is where the real action is. Just coincidentally, this is where I live, and this is the only place that makes sense to me, and going anywhere and doing anything else feels too uh, spiky and, and, and dangerous because I've... I've smoothed my brain of any ability to, to engage with the wider world around me without being wildly upset by it. If you want to believe that, you can. I just disagree, and at that point, I just have to say, good day. I'm not going to argue the point, because it's just operating from Cooney and incommensurability. Laura Linney putting the Chaco book up. That's something, because... One, 100% not an accident. That The way that stuff was put there, that was a message. You know it's going to be in the frame. It's you're, you're, They're shooting you. So someone in that family wanted that to be in there. And if it's Laura Linney, that'd be wonderful. I think she's a delight. I've always been a fan. She's very good on uh, on uh, Ozark, and she's still a dime. I remember a couple of years ago, I actually had a thought. I haven't seen Laura Linney in anything in a while. I, uh, why hasn't she been acting? And then that week, or it might have even been the same day, I sat down in the movie theater to watch the second live-action Michael Bay-produced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, Out of the Shadows. And she showed up as a cop interrogating the turtles in a police uh, sweat box, and going not like this, like the like the person from that person from Matrix, not like this. Boom. But now she's got a good show. She's on a good show. She's Emmy nominated. I'm very happy for her. And I was very tickled to see that. Of course I've seen Congo. I saw Congo in the theater. It's a wee shaver. Uh, Amy Love, uh, lemon drink. Amy Love, drink. Amy, gorilla. Uh, Laura Linney at one point cuts up a bunch of evil gray cannibal apes with a fucking diamond-powered laser. It's not a good movie by any stretch, but it's entertaining enough. Tim Curry, all-time accent work, is Herkimahomolka. Also, by the way, uh, uh, Delroy Lindo doing great African guy accent. Uh, Stop eating my sesame cake. Everybody had a lot of fun. Oh, my God. Uh, fucking Ernie Hudson doing a British accent. Everyone was having fun. And Oh, and Joe Don Baker head like the fucking moon, just so sweaty slab of Smithfield ham screaming about, did you get that diamond? This satellite is our cash cow. In two years it'll be obsolete. 
Joey Pants. The last guy who went in there with Robinson Reynolds when it came out of somebody's ball movement. Thoughts on Yakov Smirnov? Well, in Soviet Russia, Yakov Smirnov has thoughts about you. He was a formative figure in my life as a young man. I mean, he was, uh, he was on Night Court a lot. I remember that. Harry, help me. And I remember watching one of his uh, Branson specials just for the reaction shots of his crowd. It was amazing people watching. He's still out there, apparently. He retired from having his theater, but he still does shit. And he's apparently very mad about the masks, as you could imagine. Because he didn't fucking come to this country from Russia to wear fucking masks. That's what they do. That's what the Soviets did. I saw the lady with the cock on her face, the cock on her on her mask, the MAGA lady. There's a lot of psychology going on with these people. It's it's getting out of hand. It's spilling all, all over us. We we are we are we are over libidinalizing politics. It's she's gonna blow, as they say. I mean, it's just too much. The, the, she can't handle it, copped it. We can't put this much of our fucking energy into politics. It's gonna drive us insane. Especially since all we're supposed to do every day every is what vote every four years and then post about it. Yeah. Now people are gonna start popping. Heads are gonna start popping like fucking grapes, and then you're gonna see mass shootings and, and weird political stunts and violence for sure. But it'll all be this uncoordinated, fractal behavior, like 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 a viral pathology just snapping through the the uh, the population. Lighting up the most febrile tend uh, tendrils at the top of like the process. My battery is going down. I better. Better uh, wrap her up soon. Maybe I'll ask, ask see if there's one more question. I've not had the McDonald's spicy nuggets yet. I really do want to try them. Really want to try them. Per the good, Bill Oakley says they're good, and his word is bond. Well, they aren't as good as I think. Well, I mean, they're McDonald's. They're not going to be great. We have to adjust our our uh, expectations accordingly. We shouldn't be going around expecting transcendence when it's not to be found. We need to go... If we want transcendence, we have to search for it. 
don't try to trick ourselves into thinking that, that the mundane is actually the, the, the transcendent because it's what we have access to. Because you're lying to yourself. And in the end, you will come to, it will taste like ashes in your mouth. You have to seek. You always have to seek. I've not had the Travis Scott meal, and I don't think I will. I don't even get the Quarter Pounder. I got the Big Mac. This person gets buffalo chicken tenders at Culver's? You're getting chicken tenders at Culver's? Home of the Butter Burger? God, what a... Ugh. What a country ruffian you are, sir. Butter Burger. What doesn't make sense about those two words? Chicken tenders are never your first option at any place. Bone-in is the, is the superior bird in every respect. The chicken tenders are only to be pursued in the absence of an alternative and in the presence of a substantial sauce. And Culver's is not known for their sauces. What? They got mayonnaise and fucking ketchup. They don't have some special sauce like Raisin Cane's does. You people, you nugget people, you, you nugget and tendy people, you got you seem like children to me. You seem like people who never grew out of the chit phase of being a wee a, a little punk looking at the children's menu and getting chicken tenders. Evolve your palate. Embrace the dark side of the of the meat. The richer textures, the deeper flavors, the superior moistures. Tenders are for babies. Get bone in or bone out. That's what I say. I mean, don't you think the fact that the grown people call them tendies is a tip-off? They call they're like little they, they talk like a baby when they're talking about them. I mean, you know what? KFC tried to do drumsticks like five years ago. I don't know if anyone remembers this. It was tied to the Super Bowl. And in fact, this was before Colin Kaepernick kneeled and he was part of the big ad campaign. And they bought a zillion chicken wings. And they were like, McDonald's chicken wings. And nobody wanted them. And they ended up having a huge backlog of them. And then they waited and then they had the promotion again a couple months later with like the prices less to like get rid of all this old frozen chicken and like save some of the loss off of it and i got them both times and i thought they were really good they were spicy they were juicy they're i just had the ghost chip ghost pepper uh popeyes uh wings way too scrawny there's like they were freaking a pigeon it's like there's barely any meat on there these boys were juicy but nobody liked them i don't know why i think there's because mcdonald's they expect certain things and that's too outside the zone like if they did pizza they'd get the same thing Although apparently there are some individual franchises at McDonald's that both do fried chicken in the bone and pizza, which is like, I'd like to try that. If I ever find out, if I'm ever near one of those, I would definitely go and get the specialty item because it'd be interesting.
All right, guys, I got to go eat now. I'm thinking about those wangs. You got me thinking about those wangs, people. Thank you for making me think about the damn wings. Bye-bye.